Um, we're going to take a couple, <clears throat> a couple weeks, actually, a few weeks, and jump out of the gospel text in the lectionary and start on a, what is a Genesis track uh, in the lectionary. And so uh, we are in Genesis 1, and, we, and, and the, uh, the text in the lectionary is Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-4. So a good 10 minutes of this is just going to be reading the, the scripture. I understand that, and you've probably heard this before, but uh, let's go ahead and read the scripture together, <clears throat> and then we will talk a little bit about this uh, origin story of ours. Uh, it says this, Uh, When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And so God made a dome and separated the waters that were under uh, the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky that separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater lights to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And so God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was an evening and there was a morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air 
And to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. On the sixth day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Like I said, we're going to spend a few weeks venturing off into some passages uh, throughout the book of Genesis. We won't be doing verse by verse like we did for the first seven years we existed in Luke, uh, but we will be covering a lot of the big characters and stories in Genesis over the next few weeks. But today we want to start in chapter 1, which is arguably the most read chapter in the Bible, not just because in the last hundred years we've had all these kind of creation science debates where people talk about this passage a lot, but because literally it's the first page in the Bible, right? If any curious person in a hotel room happened to crack open the Gideon's Bible because the TV didn't work, they probably read this passage. Have any of you, as good church people, ever made the commitment to read through the Bible in a year? I won't ask if you finished or not, although I think we all know the answer to that question. You started with this passage, right? This is the chapter where you felt strong and spiritual. Now come February, when you got to Leviticus, that's when the bargaining with God starts, <laughs> and you try to find a plan B. Regardless, it's important to start here because you need to start at the beginning, right? Good narratives start with good origin stories. Why does an endlessly wealthy and available bachelor skip sleep night after night to dress as a bat and stop crime? There's got to be a story behind it. And of course there is an origin story. Think of every stereotypical scene of someone going into a counselor's office in a, in a TV show or in a movie, and it begins with them laying on the couch, the person chewing on the end of their pen with a pad in front of them and saying, tell me about your childhood. The origin story sets the backdrop upon which all the details get painted. Where we come from matters. It's not the whole story, but it's an important part of it. And it's not just individuals who lean on their origin stories. Entire cultures do as well. This is a big fight we have in our culture right now. If you spend a lot of time in partisan politics or, God forbid, on Twitter right now, you know that this fight is strong. There are two different groups of people yelling at each other all the time, and it's about the origin stories of our country, right? One group wants to talk about the shining city on a hill and the hope of the world found in the country. The other are raising their hands and asking about the uglier parts of our founding and our history and what that means. And then one yells socialist and the other yells racist. And then someone says something about CRT, which no one has actually read, but they all get mad about. And the problem gets solved quickly and easily, right? But this is an important argument because it's about our origin story. It matters. Origin stories matter. If all of our founding history were nothing but heroes of justice and faith, then that would mean one thing. If they couldn't under, possibly understand the real meaning of even the ideals that they laid forth because of racism or genocide or all these other things that are a real part of our history, well, that has implications for us today as well. 
These are big things, and people are arguing about them, and I understand why. Origin stories matter. The origin story or the creation myth of a person or a corporation or a church or a country serves as a bit of a decoder ring for understanding what's happening now, right? Origins matter. So as we read the origin stories in Genesis, there is a lot at stake for us as people of faith. Now many of you already know this, but Genesis is not the only creation story that existed in the world in which it was first written down and talked about. Lots of people had their own creation myths and stories. The Babylonians had a, had a writing called the Enuma Elish. And if you read it, um, there will be some things that stand out pretty quickly. If you made a movie of it, it would be rated R for sure. In the Enuma Elish, there are multiple gods, gods all over the place. They are less than gracious to each other and less than concerned about humanity. The kind of story goes for creation, there were a group of loud young gods who were disturbing the sleep of the older god, Apsu. I think I'm saying that right. <clears throat> so Apsu is being robbed of sleep by these younger gods. And so Apsu decides to kill the younger gods. All parents have had this struggle. You've thought about it. One of the other older gods finds out about it, Tiamat. Tiamat hears about this potential murder getting ready to happen of the younger gods who are keeping Apsu awake. And so she warns her younger son, Enki. Enki then stands up to and kills Apsu and makes a house of his remains, as one does. Now Tiamat is mad that Apsu has been killed, even though she's the one who tipped off her son, who eventually killed him. And so, Apsu, so Tiamat, as you can imagine, would go see Quingu. And Quingu uh, says, we need to make war with the young gods. And so they make war with the young gods. And among the young gods, as you can imagine, Marduk, not to be confused with the Greyhound, arises from the young gods and eventually defeats Quingu and Tiamat. He splits Tiamat in two with an arrow. And as he splits her in two, from her eyes pour, for, pour forth the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And then he takes the corpse, and Marduk makes the heavens and the earth from her corpse. And then he keeps 11 monsters that had been created to take out all the young ones as a trophy for himself that he sets his feet upon. Now that is a felt board Sunday school story I would have loved to have seen the senior adult woman in my church growing up put on for us. I would have paid attention for that one. Stephanie, how would you do this one in godly play? Can you think? Okay, well, think about it. Get back to us. That's the origin story. That's where the Babylonians came from. That's what they believed about the world they lived in and how they came to be. It will not surprise you to know that the Babylonians became known for their violence and ruthlessness. With that kind of origin story, why not? What else would they embody? And into this kind of world, into these kind of origin stories, we have the creation stories from Genesis and the one we read today in chapter 1. It's a very different kind of story, isn't it? We have a God who graciously enters into chaos and creates order. And this is not chaos as we think about it, right? Our chaos, even the worst of it, is temporary. It feels like something that happens that's abnormal, right? Uh, 
uh, people are storming the Capitol, but the next day there's fences up and everything is calmed back down. There's a riot in the streets someplace, and eventually it comes under control. Even our worst chaos has an end to it. But this is not that kind of chaos. This is chaos that seems to have no beginning and no possibility of end. In the, in the narrative, there's this image of a dark, churning, chaotic waters that have no up and no down, no left and no right, no beginning and no end. And in the midst of this, God graciously chooses, not for God's self, but God graciously chooses to create what a dome within which there's order and peace. I know that's a strange word. It creates a dome in the midst of it. One writer I was reading this week said something I never heard before, but for some reason it stuck with me all week. The way the writer put it was that God shows up into this churning chaos and blows a bubble in the midst of it. It's a very cool image, right? Bubbles are these weird things where no matter what's going on inside, they've got their own little ecosystem happening in the middle of it. And because I'm uh, deeply read in the great classics of our culture, I immediately thought of the movie The Incredibles, where the young daughter's power is to create a dome, right? She can create this bubble around her. No matter what chaos is happening on the outside, she creates this barrier where inside they are safe and things are going the way they're supposed to to go. Whatever might be happening on the outside, inside this dome, inside this bubble is shalom. It's peace. Inside this place, things work as God intends, not as chaos dictates. It is the domain in which God is in charge. God is king of this domain, right? This is a strong image that runs all the way throughout Scripture. When we get to Jesus, he can't stop talking about the king dome, the kingdom of God the domain in which things work the way God intends. It draws all the way back to the creation story. So we have a God who graciously, lovingly creates this domain of peace in the midst of chaos, but it does not end here. No, this God decides to build it out and to share it. God sets this creation up with everything needed for a thriving creation. He separates day from night, land from water, birds from fish, and wild animals. They are made and placed inside this peace. God keeps creating because God is love and love can't help but build. God makes this bubble, this dome of peace, and then God shares it with the creation that God loves. And in the midst of this creation, inside this dome, there is a crowning achievement, the creation of humanity, made in God's own image. Unique among creation in its potential to imitate and continue God's creative love in this space. We know from chapter 2 that God forms man by hand uh, from the dust and then literally breathes, kisses life into uh, this human existence. God sets these humans up to have dominion in the bubble. And I know that word to us has certain connotations. In English, I don't like that word because of what it means so much to us, right? When we think of dominion, we think of domination. And the word always represents, yes, one person is winning, but it's at the cost of someone else, right? Even in, a po- even in the most positive sense, it has a negative backside. Friday night, the Denver Nuggets dominated the first game against my Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. That is terrific for Denver, but it came at the expense of all of us fans of Miami. And so it is when we think about domination in general and even dominion of creation. 
We think about humanity's victory and creation's defeat, right? Because we pave paradise and put up the parking lots as the song goes. We dominate and they pay. But I don't think that's what this creation story is about. The story is of a God that creates image bearers and leaves them to care for the domain that God has called good. This is, a, this is, about, a God, uh, this is about a God's icons who share power and authority with those lovingly created. It's about the image bearers carrying on the creative and constructive work of God in this domain set in the midst of chaos. And we know the story goes off the rails pretty quickly, right? We know that soon man will start to poke holes in this bubble and that no small amount of chaos that was intended to be kept out will no longer be kept at bay and will begin to invade. And we will be in need of redemption and salvation again. But we are still set in this place to be the creators in its midst. It all starts with a loving and creative God and a creation that that God calls good and a mission for us to imitate that God in the midst of it. This is our origin story. This is who we are, and this is why we are. We are the beneficiaries of the creative love of the one true God, not one of competing gods who may leave us in their wake as they fight. We need not appease a myriad of deities, for there is only one, and this one God is gracious and good. This is a God of creativity and a God of peacemaking and a God of unconditional love. We serve this one God who creates order out of chaos for our benefit. We are not a burden. We are not a chore. We are not a regret. We are not keeping them awake at night. We are the image bearers of the God of creative and gracious love. And this world is rooted in goodness. And this world matters to God. It is not a limitation to be fled. It is a gift to be nurtured. And we are so quick to forget this origin story. We are so quick to forget this beginning. The way I was taught about us and God and the world growing up, you would think that our story began with the fall and ended with judgment, which you'd have to chop off the last couple of verses on each side of the Bible to make that true. You start in Genesis 2 or Genesis 3 and end in Revelation 20, maybe so. But we start with a good creation and we end with a new heaven and a new earth and, a, and the river of living water. That is our story. We must always ask ourselves, which origin story are we acting out in this world? Are we Mardukes or are we Yahweh's? Do we divide our loyalties and our love among the competing gods of our particular generation and time? Are we the people who encounter, everyday, uh, encounter other people as everyday barriers to be overcome instead of image bearers to be loved? Is the world we are living in there to be pillaged and dominated? By us, the victors, are there to be cared for and loved for, loved like God. Are we Genesis people? Do we begin and end in God's grace? Are we those who believe at its very root that creation is good and beloved? Do we give ourselves to the one true God of grace and peace? 
Do we see the image of that loving God in every person we meet, no matter how difficult it might be? And do we take seriously our calling to be creative and loving actors in this gracious domain that God has set in existence for our benefit? There's a lot of stories we can live by, but some stories are just better than others. May we be slow to forget where we came from and where we're going. May we remember our origins. May we remember our destination so that we might live into a story worthy of being told. Let's pray.